This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Atlanta Inquirer podcast. It might be a double Monday podcast. Uh, Derek Piper and I just released our season basketball preview, almost 50 plus minutes of basketball content. So uh, my Monday's with Mike here with Mike Carpenter. We'll talk some hoops here, Carp, but uh, we first got to talk about football. And, and just as we were before we we're getting on this, you're like, they're doing it again. They're doing it again, aren't they? They are. I mean, that was that was impressive. That, that was the maybe outside of the Minnesota game and Purdue game. I mean, that was a top three impressive Big Ten performance for Lovey Smith. Yeah, agreed, because the Wisconsin game last year was a great upset, but there were moments in that game where Illinois still looked pretty rough, but yeah. Wisconsin let you hang around, and then you had a pretty good fourth quarter. But this, probably the best 60-minute performance, and I know that Nebraska's not great. Their record would suggest that. Scott Frost, for whatever reason, is not really turning that thing around. And uh, Illinois has been better than Nebraska the last three years. They have been. The Big Ten. And that's Maybe. insane to think about <laughs> and how low we feel and how Nebraska, their expectations clearly different than ours, but even for uh, my modest expectations coming into this year, we talked last week about how that was a bad matchup. I, I thought it was after the first drive and the way that McCaffrey was moving the ball at will five, six yards, every play. I thought we're in for it. It's going to be one of those 600 yard days, but man, did they adjust and dominate it? That was not just a pretty good win. That was 60 minutes of dominance. And uh, eventually it's, it might just be as simple as if the takeaways are there. Yeah. Lovey's teams tend to win. And that seems to be the pattern in these kind of win streaks we've seen the last few years. Yeah, and I want to get into that, Cart, but can, can I address something for the mm-hmm. crowd that understandably was ready to move on after an 0-3 start, right? Um, like me? Yeah, and it's part of you, <laughs> but like you haven't said this yet, and I think this okay. is a problem. Um, understandably, right? That is totally understandable. Maybe the next three games with the toughest, the third toughest schedule in the country, maybe you'll still feel that way. But you can't go into this week saying Illinois has no chance and then after the game justify a win by saying Nebraska's not that good. Like Agreed. Th- that is a good win. No matter how like no matter how you say I mean, you come after Rutgers and you barely beat them, okay? Then you can say, eh, it's Rutgers. They're still not very good. If Illinois didn't win that game, they're they're terrible. Well, they did win that game, and then they followed it up with a dominant win. I mean, that, that was domination over a team that beat Penn State last week, over a program that historically has been better than you, over a program you haven't beaten, uh, even though they haven't been that good since Bill Cubitt was here. Uh, Lovey Smith, that's his first one against Nebraska. So while it's not like that's the that's the game that saves Lovey Smith's job and it shouldn't be, uh, that is an impressive win. You can't you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, Illinois is going to get blown out and they have no chance against Nebraska, and then after they beat them and blow them out, you can't sit there and say that uh, they're just a bad team. Nebraska's just bad. No, well, you can't. That, you can't because I mean Nebraska is flawed as. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, well, we came into the season saying Illinois needs to beat teams like Purdue, 
Minnesota, and Nebraska. And we can get into this, but they didn't have their starting quarterback for those two games. And like I said last week, they're starting to make at least a case now that that changed the season and it changed the final record of the season. They have more work to do, Carp, but at full strength, they crushed Nebraska, which is what you wanted coming into the year. I had a hard time on Saturday when we were doing the podcast. I think it was one of the weaker performances I've had in one of these postgame pods because I was telling the guys, I can't process this. I entered the game assuming, as I think a lot of us did, that that game could not not only was a likely loss. I think we were all probably on that same wavelength, but that it could get out of hand in a hurry based on previous experiences with Nebraska. Brandon Peters, his first start back, which we'll we'll get into the quarterback thing here in a second. I was vocal <laughs> before the game and happy to eat crow about it, you know. But that was, yeah, it, it was such a dominant performance that it now reintroduces these narratives that I wanted no part of in the first three weeks, specifically. Well, yeah, you were missing your quarterback against Purdue and Minnesota. Yeah, that's true, but your defense was intact. It's so bizarre, Jeremy, because the incompetence on the defensive side of the ball in those two home games against Purdue and Minnesota, and then you do what you do against Rutgers that scored 42 points against Michigan. I know Michigan stinks, but still. Uh, And then you see what they did against Nebraska. It's like I'm happy for the turnaround, and yet I'm conflicted, as I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second, conflicted because I want resolution, and I feel like we are just aiming right for a 3-6 and season. Yeah, we're messy. We're, we we're in messy territory. The resolution. Yeah, we're in yeah. the messy territory, which is complicated. And I would say if it's messy, it's probably going to lean towards Lovey coming back, to be honest with you. Exactly. Because if it's messy because of COVID and it's messy because of finances, I think that's where they're leading. But I, I still think they got to prove more, right? I mean, these last three games, win one, right? And then then find a way to, to win the crossover or find a way to win more than that and, and really um, show that, hey, this, this was as good of a season we were going to have because – it's legit right now. I mean, Carp, you mentioned the defense against Purdue. The defense only gave up 24 points that game, <laughs> right? Like that's true. That and, is true. And Karan Taylor had four inter, four uh, turnovers um, against Minnesota. There's no excuse for that game. So I'm not going to say they win that game, but it could have been different with Brandon there. So you can like you can now rationally, not like optimistic fan who wants Lovey to stay. Like it's a rational thing that they could be three and two. If they had Brandon Peters the last couple of games, because he was dang good, Cart. Like that, that that's the team I expected this year. Not that they'd go into all these Big Ten West games and be favored and win and and go seven and two this year. But I thought they were, they, they would be toss up games, right? And they'd win some that make you feel really good, and they'd lose some that man we missed an opportunity. But that looked like a competent middle of the road Big Ten West team, which is what everybody wants. And not only that, but physically, you dominated Nebraska. I mean, there were many times, and I know Sidney Brown, there was a hit in the fourth quarter that kind of went unnoticed. And I think this was after the Nebraska guy got hurt um, on that mm-hmm. Illinois drive. So I, I think by that point, we weren't really looking for hard hits. And Sidney just leveled somebody. And I thought, you know, I've seen a lot more Nebraska guys on the ground, injured or not, just shaken up in this game than vice versa. And it, it was, it reminded me a bit. And I saw, and I wish I could remember who tweeted this. I think maybe Austin said something about the 2010 Illini team. They finished six and six, seven and six, if you include the bowl game, physically dominant in a lot of games. And yet they would leave you wanting in those losses. And it looks like this is that kind of team where as we go along these last three games, I don't know how many they're going to win. If they got one of the three, I think that would still be a sign of improvement. If they got two or three, well, hey, I'm happy to bring Lovey back. That means that when you are healthy, you got a pretty good team here. But that was 
the most confusing part was the physical dominance of a team that has out-recruited you by most metrics the last few years. And you can't say Nebraska is not talented, right? Like these are top 25 classes that they are getting. And so you can, again, if if you're that fan that's sitting there going there, Illinois is not recruiting well enough compared to the rest of big 10 West. That's a good win because you just beat a team that is, I think top five in those talent composite rankings. Yeah. And I mean, they look at sometimes. So Nebraska is broken. I don't, I don't know what that is. I can't explain it because Scott Frost seemed like the no-brainer, just like Harbaugh seemed like the no-brainer. I mean, who would have thought that between Tom Allen, Scott Frost, and Jim Harbaugh, and Lovey Smith, that in year five or four for each of them, depending when they arrived, it would be Lovey Smith and Tom Allen that would not be as on hot of a seat. And I know Scott Frost or, isn't going to be fired. but James Franklin. <laughs> it's hard to figure. It's hard to figure. And that makes you think, as we've talked with – Harry Black is coming our, our Saturday podcast during the games. And from the outset, from the Wisconsin game, he said this year, it's just going to be that much more difficult to make a true evaluation because, and we agreed with that. I think it was that Wisconsin game left such a sour taste in everybody's mouth yeah. that when you had the following week, we find out against Purdue that Brandon's not going to play immediately. I thought, well, how big of a deal is that? Because Brandon and his best last year was still relatively inconsistent. Yes. We didn't see a whole lot of performances like we did against Nebraska, but if Nebraska is the norm for what Brandon Peters will do against defenses not named Wisconsin or maybe not named Ohio State, then yeah, that does change the formula for how we figure where should this team be if he missed two games or three games. Well, to be honest with you, I've been higher on Brandon uh, coming into the year, but that Wisconsin game did leave a bad taste in your mouth. He wasn't good. He didn't look good. His body language wasn't good. Maybe Wisconsin's defense is just that good. I mean, we saw Northwestern is is really good, too. So we'll see how Brandon does against them and Iowa and Ohio State here. Um, But that's kind of what we were expecting. And I don't blame you, Carp. I talked to Riley O'Toole last week who said, go with Isaiah Williams. Because you at least found a thing there, right? Because the one game we'd had of Brandon this year wasn't good. And last year wasn't consistent. For for the great... performance he had in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin it was actually really one drive against Wisconsin he was bad for three and a half quarters um, Michigan State he was okay the first half and then the second half he was great um, I thought his best games were against Purdue and, and Rutgers because he just yeah. didn't throw the ball and didn't turn it over right um, so that was by far the best quarterback performance we've seen in the Lovey Smith tenure to be honest it, it absolutely was and it was a mixture of being polished but also kind of having uh, the freedom to play a little bit of playground ball out there. And I think that if there's credit to be given, Lovey Smith, for one, calling the defensive plays the last two games has done pretty damn well. And we're seeing that Lovey ball uh, trademark. You're seeing that's coming to fruition. But with Brandon against Nebraska, the, the ability to run the ball, and we've talked about this a lot. We saw it, we, we were wanting more of that against Wisconsin where they effectively turned him into a drop back passer. And the biggest chunk plays that offense had all game was when he just ran with it. And it felt like that was it felt like that was mixed in with what Rod Smith was trying to do on Saturday a lot better. When they did bring Isaiah Williams out, even though they were run plays, there was some success with that. So maybe they, there is a chemistry thing that they're figuring out. Maybe there is a bit of how do we mix in the runs for Brandon that better late than never. I, I think yeah. the regret, though. If that, if I could use that word, would be that now, after the winnable part of the schedule, it's like if you could flip the schedule yes. and you would have just faced Iowa and Ohio State without Brandon Peters, and then you get a run of Purdue, Minnesota, Nebraska. At the end, you feel great about getting four or five wins. It's just that the way those tables flip, it's 
difficult, even with a fully healthy team playing like they did Saturday. And I said this going into the week, like the idea of Brandon Peters starting makes all the sense in the world. I want to ask Rod today if it actually was a tough decision, like if he was actually going through dilemma, because Brandon handily won his jobs the last couple of years. Um, But Isaiah at least gave you a run game, right? You at least had something you had to account for. And while I don't think that would have been as successful against Nebraska, especially the three teams you have coming up, um, Brandon still had to make throws. Because even if you ran more the Rod Smith typical offense, you let Brandon run a little bit more, Brandon still has to make those throws in one-on-one coverage, and boy, did he. Um, th- those throws to a Matsor baby on the back shoulder are NFL throws. You got you got your best weapon involved in the passing game finally again, uh, and those other quarterbacks couldn't do it. Then, uh, you know, and Karan's plays were mostly breakdowns that, that he had some big passes on. Yeah. <laughs> These were legit, like, throws. Uh, then some of the throws he made to, to Navarro and tight windows in the zone uh, were really impressive. And, and then there were a couple plays, Carp, where you saw the danger of Brandon using his legs. Um, you know, he only had eight carries, but some of them were some for some big chunks. And then there were a couple plays where he gave it to Chase Brown, where the defensive end just let Chase Brown run by him because he was worried about Brandon Peters running. That's the idea of it. Uh, it's not that Brandon needs to run for you know 100-plus yards like Isaiah Williams did. It's just the threat of that opens up so much. And and you're seeing you got a good offensive line. Uh, Julian Pearl's been great the last couple of weeks. Kendrick Green's a pro. Vidarian Lowe's been really good. Doug Kramer coming back helps them. Um, but also, you got two really good running backs. Um, Mike Epstein's been great to watch him stay healthy and this is the second longest he's stayed healthy in a season and then chase brown was just really good yeah that's why the 2010 comparisons there's maybe no mikel Shore out there on the field or, or jay prosh at fullback where he could just bruise against other teams and, and gain 330 yards against the pat Fitzgerald defense but with chase brown and brian, uh, i about said brian epstein sorry that was the manager of the beatles uh <laughs> mike epstein uh, with those two guys, you know, whenever they get the ball, it felt, it felt like the last two weeks, whenever they got the ball, they could break it. And we saw that a couple of times. I know that Chase Brown, if you take out the, what was that, like a 45, 40-yarder that he had uh, sometime in the first half, you take that out, and his average is maybe more around like three and a half, four yards per carry. But nonetheless, it felt that like you had a still counts. <laughs> oh, Exactly. Right. And, and those are going to happen with as good as those running backs are. We talked on the podcast Saturday. They they showed the stats, and I'd forgotten that Chase Brown was only a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Epstein's eligibility? What's the deal with that? Because he came in in 2017, right? Yeah, he's a redshirt junior. He, he gets a medical for last year, yeah. It was such a good performance that I started doing that thing where I was thinking, you know, next year's offense? You know, you got Isaiah Williams, a little bit older. You got some really good skill players, even though you're losing Josh. Offensive line, you got a couple new pieces, but... Uh, what is encouraging, though, if this is the coaching staff they stay with, and I think barring a really bad performance down the stretch, that's probably what it is. I think if they get I'm, one more carp, I, I don't think anything's sad. Just, just no, to, just to have that conversation, because I know people want to know about it. I think if they get one more, um, if they beat Iowa, I mean, that, and we got to think, carp, they haven't beaten Iowa since 2008. They haven't beat Ohio State since 2007. They haven't beat Northwestern since 2014. Okay, so any of those wins are, I mean, it's time to win those kind of games, especially Northwestern or Iowa, but like that, that's a big win. That's a big win for this program. And then you go into a crossover game against either Michigan State or Maryland, I, Maryland or Penn State like, um, and possibly get a fourth. Um, so I, I think if they get a third before the, the ninth game, uh, I think Lovey's fine. Well, here, here's what I think would be fun. And, and I'm 
tempering my expectations because I talked about resolution. I felt the same thing at the end of the John Gross era where you just wanted resolution. Mm -hmm. And you eventually got it in the form of that loss to Rutgers. But let's say they had won that game. You probably don't get the resolution and you carry it out. But football's a different beast, right? We're okay with modest expectations. And that's why going through the rest of this year, I, if I am making a pivot, it would be towards just show me enough Yes, where I'm like, okay, we, we can do this. It's not perfect. It doesn't need to be perfect. But with the 12-game schedule, I can trust you guys to win six or seven next year despite the losses you have. And so what's if that I look see like? that, I'm, I'm fine. I can do that. So what's that look like? Is it For me, I said hmm. you score 20-plus on Ohio State and hold them under – should I say 55 or 50? That's Can I be success. honest? They're going to cover. They're going to cover oh, Saturday, I think. Ooh. That's 30 a, points that's is a, a lot. That's a, big that's a lot for a team sure. that, uh, an Ohio State team that, what, beat Penn State, I believe, by 13 at home. I think if you cover that, and score some points, right? Like, uh, yeah. th that that's probably a success. Um, if you beat one of Iowa or Northwestern and compete with the other game and, you know, have a game in the fourth quarter and then. I I would think, you know, you can win that last game, but I think that would be, I think that'd be enough even for myself to say, yeah, bring it back for another year. COVID impacted this team from possibly having its first big 10 winning record. If you go four and five, and yeah. I think the most likely way to do that would be to beat Iowa, which that's a tall order, but I'm not trusting Northwestern and getting a win up there this year. And I'm not trusting beating Ohio state that would put you at what three and five. And right now you look at the other side in the Big Ten East, and I see Michigan with two wins on the season. I could see them getting another, and then somehow it shakes out where you play Michigan as down as they are. You get a win against them for your fourth of the year, four and five with wins against Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan. You factor in Brandon Peters being out. Essentially, that's telling you that this would have been a seven and five, potentially eight and four team had they been healthy for an entire 12-game schedule. Correct. By that metric. I would keep them, right? Yes. So this is where the non-conference games, we can say, well, they don't matter. But at the end of the day, had they been played, we all would have been in the 7-5, and five, you keep Levy camp. I You're, can't believe I'm saying this right now. You'd be 5-3 right, right now, right? And you'd feel yeah. completely different, even though those three games really probably didn't tell you anything, right? So That's true. But you know what? Again, back to the take Glenn Mason era at Minnesota. Yeah. I envy that. Right. And they played three scrubs every year, and then they finished about 3-5 and five in the Big Ten, whatever it was. And that's good enough for us. So if it comes down to, all right, you're making a move to get rid of a guy that, uh, let's say, Levy Smith goes four and five this year. And to me, that is that is approaching no-brainer territory. Yeah, you're going to keep him at four and five. I, I can tell you, Carp, nationally, nationally, if Illinois fired Levy Smith after four and five this year with two games. With those wins. With, yeah. with three games where you didn't have your starting quarterback and two games where you didn't have some key pieces, people would think they'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, under, understandably. And also, to piggyback off that, as I've tried to go through the, uh, after the Minnesota game, I look at, oh, you know, there's the Sean Kelly guy, you know, young up-and-comer. You start doing that, and it's fun. But then I also remember back in 2012, oh, Kevin Sumlin, maybe, Larry Fedora, you know, you get these names, and then they don't really come to fruition. And then you just go through the whole process again. That's why, to me, I'm not a Lovey Smith believer, but I know for a fact the easiest way for Illinois to achieve some sustained success is just Lovey figures it out. Yeah. Figure it out consistently, please. I'm almost begging Lovey, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the guy. And I, I think that what we saw against Nebraska was emphatic enough where it said it's at least a possibility. Yep. It's at least a possibility. And you just want to see that more prolonged, even against the better competition like Iowa and Northwestern. I said it after Rutgers and people were like, come on, Jeremy. But like, it's like, 
you won that game and it gave you a chance to have a comeback, right? If you lose that game, there's no chance. And I, I don't think Lovey Smith is probably coming back, to be honest with you. That That's how you know thin this margin is right now, which some people might argue, well, that shouldn't be the case then, then move on. It's more difficult than right. that, right? Um, but then you follow it up with a win. You had to get a win here and you did. So, so all of a sudden it stacks up and it, it matters. And I think I saw it from uh, Illinois lost, is won six of its last 11 Big Ten games. Wow. <laughs> think, think Best about Rich it. and Sook, right? And if we think about it, this is the, apples and oranges, but the frustration with the Zook era was unfulfilled potential yeah. because of all the recruiting success he had. And for some reason, apart from the Rose Bowl year, it was never cohesive enough. You didn't have that consistency. But when you fired Zook and then you go through it again, and this is not to say that you couldn't have made a hire better than Tim Beckman. You could have. That was a miss. <laughs> But I do understand why, even 10 years after the fact, there are people that say, well, you never should have gotten rid of Zook. I, of course, would have countered, well, you weren't recruiting like you used to. But you know what? If we are putting that bar at six and six, seven and five, I need to be consistent myself in saying, well, if that's what I set the bar at and Lovey finishes four and five, it's a no brainer. Three and six, we got to think about it. But this is where the COVID financials and all the other things come into play, where three and six, you get one more win in the schedule. Uh, and I would prefer it doesn't come against a Big Ten East scrub. It'd right. be nice to get one of those against a quality opponent. Um, but you get that one more win, and that chances are you're going status quo. Um, what would be an interesting next step for Josh Whitman in this athletic par- uh, program would be figuring out, okay, well, what tweaks do you make? Because I don't think at three and six you can simply just run it back with the existing staff and say that it's good enough. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see how Rod Smith's offense does the rest of the year. But I think I've I've been encouraged by him the last couple of weeks and what he's been able to do, uh, especially running the football. I mean, they're number two in the big 10 at rushing. I love that. Um, right. I, I love that as a program. Uh, and I think you've got an identity there and defensively you have an identity of takeaways. It's just do it consistently now and, and win two like win two more games or maybe three carp and keep going and recruiting. Right. Like, you know, I like the transfer stuff that they're doing because they're struggling in prep recruiting. Um, it's just kind of dead out there in, in recruiting. And I barely covered anything on that side because it is dead. They have to show it on the field. Uh, so to take off there, you really uh, need need to make some statements here, whether that's a, an upset win over Iowa, upset win over Northwestern. Uh, I'll throw it out there that the one percent chance you could be in Ohio State that that's a changer for you. Um, just like last year was against Wisconsin. So uh, you got to put it together. Uh, I will say, well, go ahead, Kurt. Well, just one more point about that. And this is where the this is where the dilemma continues to rear its head in terms of watching these games and maybe not enjoying the immediate success as much as you would if you believed long-term in the whole thing, right? Where I, I don't want a situation and I fear a situation where you are good enough, you run it back. And then the recruiting doesn't pick up. And then by the time you make a change for 2022, you are just, lacking in depth there's not a lot there whereas i think there's enough on this roster where next year they they can still win some games next year especially with isaiah williams under center and i'm thinking well if that's you're three and six and you don't look all that great man it would be nice to get some fresh blood and capitalize on what you have before you get uh whittled down to the point of another rebuild can i say though it has been encouraging to see isaiah williams have a performance like he did julian Mm -hmm. pearl and vertis brown to, to be look like Big Ten offensive linemen, which we didn't know if they were before the year, um, to see guys like Johnny Newton, Devin Witherspoon play really well, Kalon Tolson, Tariq Barnes. Like, 
you know, I know some of these guys weren't big recruits, but they're the ones producing. And, and Marquez Beeson's been hurt, so we haven't been able to see him. Uh, Luke Ford is, is coming. I know people want to see him more, but a guy like Daniel Barker, who they recruited out of high school, has performed very well. So I will say that is encouraging. Uh, the development of the guys they've gotten and to see some of those guys step into bigger roles, uh, especially guys like Witherspoon, Tolson, and, and Pearl, um, is very encouraging. Um, for the longer term than the, the recruiting rankings would suggest. Now, you need to continue that, um, and you got to continue to recruit and, and hit like that. But that, that has been a little encouraging here. It has been. It has. It's just that, you know, I, I'm looking at 2022, and, and would you agree that, like, 2021, there's enough there yeah. where it'll be an interesting year, and then well, you have an easy non-conference schedule. Especially if guys like Palcheski come back with his injury. Um, I think Gay and Carney should really consider coming back. Like, Hanson should be gone. Kramer, I don't think he gains anything by coming back. I think Kendrick Green should go pro with the way he's playing. Yeah. Vidarian Lowe probably doesn't gain anything by coming back. Matt Torbebe. Uh, but Tony Adams is a guy that, that maybe – like so you get a couple of those guys back, um, then all of a sudden I do feel better about the 2021 roster. And I don't know – I don't think Brandon Peters would come back because I don't know if he has much to gain. Um, so it's a big couple weeks for him coming up. But that, that could impact how you feel about the 21 roster. But I agree. I mean, 2022 is going to have a lot of questions, but we should get more answers uh, of that the next couple of weeks. Real quick, and this is just for fun. I mean, predictions are so yeah. – they're meaningless essentially. But as you look at the next three games, you know, it's it's easy for me to say I don't think you're going to win any of them because the opponents are just better than you. But knowing the way this season and the way last season went, there is going to be an unexpected win in there. Yeah. And we know it's not going to be Ohio State. So it's easy for me to pivot and say, well, it's going to be Iowa. Yeah. Like it's going to be Iowa. It's at home. Um, but even with Northwestern, top 10 team or going to be, I, I would presume. Defensively, they're great. Incredible. Right. But enough where it's like, okay, you shouldn't be down more than a couple scores in that game. Easy to say because you were last year against their third string quarterback. So. <laughs> Iowa's the game, right? I mean, to me, that seems like that is the swing game to solidify if Lovey is or is not going to come back. And if you get that third win, then all of a sudden you're playing a team in that ninth week that if you got that win, you're feeling better than, let's say, if you're two and six playing Michigan right. State. No, I agree with you. Uh, I I predicted before the season uh, they beat Iowa. Uh, I thought that was one of their best games last year, Carp. They lost, and I thought mm -hmm. it was one of their most impressive performances because they won in the trenches. Uh, and I think they can do that again this year. I think they have the better quarterback this year. And, and Brandon really was the reason they lost that game. He had three turnovers, right? And they lost the turnover battle, and that's the game uh, for Illinois. And and their quarterback, um, you know, I know last week was a good week for them, but he hasn't been that impressive this year. Goodson's a nice player. They got some decent wide receivers, but I think that's an even matchup. And uh, I, I think that's the kind of game Illinois – should win and and Northwestern. It's just your offense has to be better than their defense, right? Because Peyton Ramsey and that offense, they're fine, but that's not anything special that scares you. Um, and I think the defense can keep them in the game, but your offense just has to to outperform them, and that that's that's difficult. But I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. It's not, and the way they played against Nebraska, if, if it were so easy, just saying, do that again. <laughs> Whatever you did, do that. Can, can I? Can and I? Give if my they biggest, did, they would win another game or two, easy. Can I get my biggest gripe cart of Saturday? Mm -hmm. That was a genius tweet by the social media department. Okay, the best they probably ever sent. Got millions of impressions. Okay. Do not delete that tweet, okay? Josh Whitman, and I don't, I don't know if he's the guy who, who, who made the call, okay? But Josh Whitman once said, 
we need to learn how to stick our chests out a little bit, right? Is is Illinois is a program that that was his words early in his tenure? All right, Nebraska can, are they big boys over there? They should be. They they can handle a little prodding. Okay, it's a down year for them. Deal with it. Um, you don't got to play nice all the time, uh, and you don't got to be nice to everybody and be Boy Scout all the time. So. It was a great tweet. It got so much national attention and national people were talking about Illinois through this tweet and showing that Illinois won a game. That's great marketing. It was, it was fantastic social media content. Uh, so boo to Illinois for whoever made that call uh, to delete that. And, and, and by the way, I think what you just said, that not even tongue in cheek, that, that is legitimately disappointing. They deleted that. <laughs> Own it. It was a brilliant tweet, and I think that Nebraska, for all the bluster they've had about single-handedly saving the college football season, yeah, they they deserve that for the performance on the field and all their platitudes about how they they are the ones that we should be thanking for the fact that college football is back. Yes, leave it up. And if there's one thing, this is so random that I remember this in the Mike Thomas era, Northwestern comes in here, first game of the season, Big Ten season, in 2011 for homecoming. You beat them in spectacular fashion and they play sweet home Chicago to get back at them for being the Chicago's big 10 team sticking your chest out, having fun It's sports. You should be able to talk a little trash and they should have left it. It's too bad. Carp. uh, We'll talk basketball next time, man. Um, Give me, give me, we got 20 seconds. One thing you want to see this week. Well, three and oh, that's one (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Coleman Hawkins. You know, I think we know that Curbelo and Miller are going to be good. They're going to be in the rotation. They'll be getting plenty of minutes, but if Coleman Hawkins can be even just a, a small impact on this team. Um, just getting some boards with his length. I think a pretty good shot yeah. from all indications too. Uh, it, it would be nice to have a couple guys that you don't need to count on game by game, but can maybe help make up for the fact that Alan Griffin and the production he would have brought. You'd love to get some of that shooting ability and some of that energy from other guys. So Coleman Hawkins is my sort of wild card guy to watch for week one. Cause he's going to get plenty of playing time in these three games. And then also for Georgie to just take a breath and play like a big and realize he doesn't need to be a star. I think last year it was so disruptive because he was sort of the marketable guy. And now he could just take a step back and, and play 22 good minutes of basketball each night. Uh, thanks for the Coleman Hawkins match. I got a big feature coming up on him uh, this week. So uh, be on the should, should I that. be excited about him? I mean, I think the coach yeah. is on. Well, I just, I, I'm impressed by his approach and, and I think he's been, the, the story's kind of, he's been prepared all his life to be ready um, for this role that I think he's going to have at Illinois. So um, yeah, uh, I, th- I think you should, I don't, I don't know what expectations are for him this year, but I like him as a piece. I, I think he's a very good fit for what Illinois wants. Maybe a little bit in the short term, but definitely for the long term. All right, Carp, I got to talk to Loving and Rod Smith. Uh, thanks as always. We'll talk to you next week. Is this your busiest week ever? Three basketball games and a football yeah. game? Already, this has to be up, up towards the top. Already apologizing to the wife for being useless. Yeah, that's uh, fair. <laughs> well, have a good week, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Carp. Talk to you later. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons, and now what? 
A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Great stuff as always with Michael Carpenter. And I always love talking to Carp because he, he kind of gives me the read on, on some in the fan base. Not all. Uh, I know he doesn't speak for everybody, but I think he does speak for a, uh, a sizable contention. I, I can understand where there's a little bit of how do I feel right now about where Illinois football is at? And, and what are my... Uh, what do I need to see the rest of the year? So I thought it was a, a worthy conversation and um, one that a lot of Illini fans are, are having right now for what they want for the long term of this program. And I agree with Carp. I think Lovey Smith succeeding is is the best thing for this program. So getting a couple more wins this year would certainly be a, a sign of encouragement for the program. As always, appreciate you listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. As I said to start the podcast, it's a double podcast Monday here. Derek Piper and I chatted for almost an hour uh, previewing Illinois basketball season, which starts on Wednesday. And uh, we break down all the reasons you should think Illinois basketball is a Big Ten favorite this year, which they are, uh, in, according to an unofficial poll of the Big Ten, and uh, why maybe... Um, they might not reach those heights, that they might not be a national title contender. So we, we have that conversation. Uh, Piper and I both are very high on this team, uh, but I think it's a worthy podcast breaking down uh, the 2020-21 team that we'll finally see on the court starting Wednesday, and we'll get three helpings of them in three days. So it's a, a fulfilling Thanksgiving week uh, that is punctuated with the Ohio State game. Uh, for Illinois football, where you got nothing to lose because no one expects anything. You're a 28 and a half point underdog. And uh, let me play a clip. Um, I'm, I'm doing this offhand, but uh, let me play a clip of Brandon Peters and, and what he said about Illinois football against um, Ohio State this week. I don't think there's been a game since I've been here where we haven't been underdogs to a Big Ten team. So, I mean, it's nothing new for us. I mean, I mean, that's just the way it goes when people think about Illinois football. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it kind of you know, kind of puts a chip on your shoulder if you if you're a player for Illinois football that you know people think you're not good enough to you know rally and beat beat teams in the Big Ten. Um, but like I said earlier, <clears throat> going into this week, you know, we, we're coming off a two-game win streak. We have a lot of momentum, a lot of confidence, uh, a lot of moxie in the building right now. So, I mean, you know, we got to keep uh, feeding off of that. Um, you know, come game time, we got to you know, be prepared and execute. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if we have that going into the game, um, you know, it'll, it'll work out well for us. And yes, that was me laughing in the background because he was all right um, for the most part. Uh, Illinois was. Uh, a favorite last year against Rutgers. They were 19-point favorites, and they covered uh, in a 38-10 win. And then, of course, they were seven-point favorites against Northwestern uh, without their starting quarterback, without their starting wide receiver core, and, and they got crushed uh, in that one, 29-10. So uh, he's right for the most part, though. Illinois, often an underdog and often a big underdog. In the last couple of weeks, they have been road underdogs and found a way to win. Of course, Ohio State's a different story. It's similar to Wisconsin last year. But even though Wisconsin was a top 10 team, I think we all know they're not quite what this Ohio State team is, which Ohio State hasn't been as good defensively as they've been in the past. But offensively, uh, Justin Fields and Chris Olive and, and all the weapons they have on that team, their offensive line has 
several NFL draft prospects. Going to be very difficult for Illinois, but nothing to lose. Nothing to lose this game and a lot to gain if you can find a way to shock the world for a second straight year against a, a top 10 team. Uh, then you feel great about where this program's at with a, a fully uh, available roster. Uh, but even if you're very competitive, um, if you have a game like Indiana had or even a game like Rutgers have, I think you feel better about going into the final couple games of the season. As always, appreciate you listening to the Illini Inquirer podcast. Check out the latest on Illinois football and basketball at IlliniInquirer.com. And if you don't subscribe to the podcast already, please do so and rate us and review us. That helps us out a lot. Everybody, enjoy Illinois basketball this week. We'll have some podcasts reacting to these games uh, throughout. And uh, have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving week. The best to you and your families. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.